Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of Beyond the Basket. My name is Brandon Muting. I wanted to call this first episode the tip-off because this is the start of a brand new podcast that is only going to talk about the Big East Conference in college basketball. Now, in this podcast, I will talk mostly, strictly about the Big East Conference, but of course, there's going to be some around the league news that I'll quickly discuss, and if there's some games that I have watched that aren't in the Big East Conference, I'll have a quick review of that game, and in fact, I will be talking about a Pac-12 basketball game that happened last week, and then we are also going to go over the AP poll, and then once we get closer to March, we're going to be looking at some bracketology from experts like Andy Katz, some CBS experts, and then I'm also going to be making my own bracketology predictions. That is what I'm going to be covering on this podcast. Now, today, we are going to be going over three Big East games that happened in this past week. We're going to talk about the Creighton Blue Jays versus the Seton Hall Pirates, which I actually got to attend in person. So I got to kind of pick the game apart, get some weaknesses and strengths of both teams. Then we had the Yukon Huskies versus the Marquette Golden Eagles. And then what a close game last night between the Xavier Musketeers versus the Providence Friars. And, of course, I will cover the Around the League news, where I watched the Oregon Ducks take on the Colorado Buffaloes. I watched that game, and I'll pick that game apart. Then, give out the weekly awards in the Big East Conference. I will go over the Big East Player of the Week, the Big East Team of the Week, and the Big East Bench Player of the Week. I think it is important to acknowledge those bench players. Yes, you have five starting guys, but the bench players are the most important. When those starters get tired, you have to put in the bench, and those are the guys you rely on in those tight situations. And then, of course, we're going to be going over the AP poll results. There is three biggest teams that are ranked in the top 25, and we will cover that at the very end of the podcast. Now, the first thing I want to note is that the Villanova Wildcats did not play this week because of their COVID-19 situation. Head coach Jay Wright tested positive for COVID-19, and you know what? They are having kind of a surprising year. I thought they were going to be overrated at the very beginning of the year, but they're ranked third in the country. Colin Galipsy, their point guard, is leading the team, as well as Jermaine Earl Robinson, the forward, who is a sophomore. And you know what? Their future is looking great. I hope to see the Villanova play I hope to see Villanova play here soon and get their COVID-19 situation figured out. Now first, let's cover the Creighton Blue Jays versus the Seton Hall Pirates. I was actually attending the game at CHI Health Center in Omaha, Nebraska. The strengths for the Creighton Blue Jays, their ball movement, that is what they're known for. They had 16 assists in the game. Their three-point shooting, they shot 54.2% from three-point range. Creighton is a three-point shooting team, and you have to cover the perimeter. It is very important to cover the perimeter when you're facing the Creighton Blue Jays because that is where they shoot. And if you have shooters like Marcus Zagorowski, Mitch Ballock, Denzel Mahoney, they are going to knock down those threes. And Seton Hall was not able to cover the perimeter. And this is a new one for the Creighton Blue Jays. Their free throws were 80%. This year, they have shot terrible from the free throw line, but in this game, they had something else going for them, and they shot 80%. And now we're going to go ahead and look at the positives for the Seton Hall Pirates. Now, when you get blown out by as much as they did, it's hard to look at the positives, but surprisingly enough, they did have some good things going for them. For the offensive rebounds, they had a height advantage against a smaller Creighton Blue Jay team. 
Christian Bishop and Damian Jefferson are smaller forwards. They're not really centers. You do have Ryan Kalkbrenner, but he's probably the only center I would consider on the Creighton Blue Jays. You can also say Jacob Epperson, but he hasn't got much playing time this year. But Sandrew Mamu Kelashvili smashed the glass in that game for the Seton Hall Pirates, and Ike Abuganu also did a lot for Kevin Willard and his squad going into the CHI Health Center. Another positive, they guarded Mitch Ballock super well. I think they watched that Providence game. Mitch Ballock can shoot from the logo and make it in. They did a really good job at guarding him in the first half. Mitch Ballock did not score a single point, and I don't think he even shot in the first half, which is amazing by Kevin Willard and his Seton Hall Pirates. Another positive, feeding the post. I talked about the height advantage for them. They kept feeding their bigs down low, and that's how they got most of their points. They didn't really get a whole lot of jump shots. They didn't get a whole lot of three-pointers, so they went down low to the big men. Now, the other thing is they drew fouls. And you know what? Some fouls were maybe iffy on the ref's part, but they were driving down low, and they were causing foul trouble for the Creighton Blue Jays. Mitch Ballock, Marcus Zegarowski, and even Christian Bishop, they didn't get a whole lot of playing time in that first half because of their fouls they committed. And the Seton Hall Pirates kept that up, and it really could have cost Creighton, but Creighton has a very good depth in their bench. Now, some weaknesses for both teams. We're going to start off with Creighton. Their post-defense, they could not stop Sandrew Mamu Kalashvili. They could not stop him. Damian Jefferson did a good job of guarding him, and I don't think if Damian Jefferson was guarding him, I think he could have scored more, but the post-defense for the Creighton Blue Jays could have been better. Of course, that comes with the whole height advantage thing, or the height disadvantage for Creighton. The other thing, they had 16 fouls total in the game. Like I said, Zagorowski, Balak, and Bishop, they all committed, I believe Balak and Zagorowski committed two fouls within like the first 15 minutes of the game. Bishop committed a foul, so that brought in Sharif Mitchell, that brought in Alex O'Connell, and that brought in Ryan Kalkbrenner. Good thing those guys held up for the Blue Jay team. Some weaknesses for the Seton Hall Pirates. Turnovers, they committed 17 of them. Very sloppy play. They just couldn't get anything done. And then guarding the power forward, Damian Jefferson. I don't know if Damian Jefferson was just heated for this game after what happened last year between him and Sandro Momkalashvili. But Damian Jefferson scored 19 points, and he was the underdog for the starting team this year. But now, more fans are starting to take a good look at him. The Creighton Blue Jays got... The win over the Seton Hall Pirates, 89-53. to Creighton is looking good this year. Very good team. The Seton Hall Pirates, they're looking good too, but you got to remember last year they lost three huge stars. They lost Quincy McKnight at the point guard. They lost Miles Powell, who now plays for the New York Knicks. And then they lost Romero Gill, who won Big East Defensive the Player of the Year. They have some shoes to fill, and I think they have the depth for it. It's all about creating that chemistry and adding more ball movement to their game. I don't think this year will be their year. I don't think this year will be their year, excuse me. But I think Kevin Willard can make them bounce back next season, back to the old Seton Hall Pirate team we are used to. Now the next game I will talk about is the Yukon Huskies taking on the Marquette Golden Eagles. And what a comeback for the Yukon Huskies in some great performances by Tyler Poley, who's actually came off the bench, scored 23 points, and Dawson Garcia for the Marquette Eagles, the freshman, 
scored 20 points. Dawson Garcia is probably going to win Big East Freshman of the Year. And then some advantages for the UConn Huskies. They had 42 rebounds. That is awesome. I believe Marquette only had 28 rebounds, which you lost 14 rebounds to this UConn team. I believe UConn got back into this game because of their rebounding. However, let's look at a positive for Marquette. They had five steals. They were able to turn over the ball, and they were able to guard James Buchanite very well. James Buchanite only scored six points when this point guard has been scoring double-digit points almost every single game. However, a downside for Marquette, they committed 17 fouls, and that's something that slowly led the Huskies back into the game. The UConn Huskies completed their comeback 65-54, to and the Huskies are looking good back in the Big East Conference with their homecoming. And let's kind of see how this plays out, how they play against teams like Villanova, and how they do in the Big East Tournament. And we're going to talk about them when we talk about the AP poll results, but I'm excited to see what this UConn team can do in this conference. Now, the last Big East game we're going to talk about is the Xavier Musketeers taking on the Providence Friars. Zach Fremantle, the forward for Xavier, had 17 points for Travis Steele and his squad. And David Duke for the Providence Friars had 30 points. I still think Providence is a sleeper team in the Big East. You never know. They almost took down the Creighton Blue Jays. They almost took down the Xavier Musketeers. They're looking good this year, and David Duke is leading this team. Xavier was able to limit their fouls, though they only committed nine fouls the entire game. So good job on Travis Steele part holding back that aggression and not jumping at the def- or the the guy with the ball, you're keeping your hand straight up, not committing that foul. Now, Providence shot 59% from three-point range, and that is how they kept up with the Musketeers. Ed Cooley let those guys take the shots they were able to. They created some good shots. And for the weaknesses on each side, Xavier only shot 50% from free throws. Not a good look for Xavier and Providence only shot 33%. They were two for six. If they were able to make a free throw and tie it up, that could have gone into overtime. Or make two of them, they could have won. Because Xavier won 74-73. to 73. They only won by one point. I still think Xavier should be a ranked team here in the next couple of weeks. Obviously, this week, there is another Big East team that took them by storm. But I think in a couple of weeks, they will come back into the AP poll. And Providence right now is kind of a bubble for the postseason tournament. I think they will get in, but it might be a play-in game. And I think Ed Cooley and his squad wants to do better than that. All right, and we're going to talk about that Pac-12 game that I watched with the Oregon Ducks versus the Colorado Buffaloes. Oregon was ranked 17th in the country going into this game. Some good strengths for the Ducks. Their full-court press pressure by their head coach, Dana Altman, There's not a whole lot of coaches or teams that can pull that off, but Dana Altman has consistently kept that pressure throughout the entire game, and it cost the Colorado Buffaloes some turnovers. Very stupid turnovers as well. They were making weak passes, they were passing it out of bounds for no reason, and you know what? They were just overthrowing everything, and the Oregon's pressure was able to capitalize on that. Another good positive, Chris Duarte, excuse me, had 27 points. He is taking Peyton Pritchard's spot for this Ducks team. And he had 27 points, was able to drive in, shoot some good jump shots, and was 
able to keep up with the Buffaloes, but unfortunately it wasn't enough. However, looking at some strengths for the Buffaloes, 40 rebounds for this team. They shot 93% for free throws, only missed one free throw, so they did a really good job from the line in utilizing Evan Batty, which is their big man center, down low. He did a very, very good job. I know at the very end of the game, or I would say maybe like 10 minutes left, there was a foul called on him, and I think he got teed up, which was unfortunate, and I didn't agree with the call. But you could tell his passion for this Colorado team is it's there. And that's good. And I know they got some votes for the AP poll this week. And I think they could be a sleeper when it comes to the March Madness tournament. And looking at some weaknesses for both of these teams, Oregon just committed stupid fouls. Fouls you didn't need to commit. You know, as one of their guys were going up to shoot or doing their hook, they would foul them after the shot. And obviously the ref's going to call that. They committed 16 fouls. And I would say probably about 9 or 10 of them were kind of not needed. It wasn't important. You didn't need to do it. It wasn't urgent. And it kind of cost them when they got to the line and they capitalized. They only missed one free throw. They capitalized on those stupid fouls. And Oregon's ball movement, I felt like there was a whole lot of passing the ball. They weren't creating the shots they were supposed to. And that caused them to drive. And the pressure was on with Colorado's bigs down there. And they would miss the shots. Some weaknesses for Colorado, though. They only shot 26.9% from threes. Some stupid turnovers, you know, they were overthrowing everything, like I talked about with Oregon's full-court pressure. And, you know, I don't know who I was cheering for. I like the Oregon Ducks, but the refs were against the Colorado Buffaloes on this game. A lot of calls ended up favoring the Ducks when it should have gone the Buffaloes' way. Like I talked about Evan Batty with that technical called on him. There was a play down low. And the Oregon Duck player wrapped around him, and it should have been an offensive foul, and it was not called. So now the Oregon Ducks lost that game. They lost 72-79, to and Oregon has not won a game in Boulder, Colorado. They are 0-10, so not a good look for Dana Altman and the Ducks. Now I'm going to get to my weekly awards for the Big East Conference. I'm going to start off with my Big East Player of the Week is going to go to David Duke for Providence. Scored 30 points against the Xavier Musketeers, and he is a very good point guard. And it reminds me a lot of Bryce Cotton when he played for Providence. But I think David Duke's a better version of Bryce Cotton. He's making plays. He's passing the ball. He's creating shots. And I think he's a very underrated player in the Big East. When you look at Big East point guards, people are looking at Colin Galipsy out of Villanova, Marcus Zagorowski out of Creighton. I think David Duke should be somewhere in that conversation. He's doing a lot for this Friar team, and he's going to get the Big East Player of the Week for this podcast. Now the Big East Team of the Week goes to the Yukon Huskies after they mounted their second-half comeback against the Marquette Golden Eagles. They were able to keep up with them, and they won. And now they are ranked, which we will get to in a little bit. And the Big East Bench Player of the Week goes to Tyler Poley out of UConn. Pulled out two double digits in points for both of the games this week. And when James Book Knight couldn't start a fire, Tyler Poley did. And that brought something for the UConn Huskies in the game against Marquette. Now looking at the AP poll results, Villanova, even though they didn't play a game, which this surprised me a little bit, they still sit at spot number three. And that surprises me. I wasn't... I was thinking they might drop a couple spots, you know, drop below Texas and Kansas, 
But no, they stayed at three. Of course, Gonzaga and Baylor are still ahead of them, and I think that's rightfully so. But not playing a game, you know, I know COVID hits this year, and I wonder what those people who are voting think. Do they deserve less votes? Do they deserve to stay because they haven't played? Or I personally just think they need to move down um, until you prove yourself again. I understand it's not somebody's fault for getting COVID, but you didn't play that week, and there's teams that dominated the court that week and deserve to move up. So personally, I think Villanova should have moved down, but they stay at spot number three. However, a team that did move down was the Creighton Blue Jays, even though they beat Seton Hall and St. John's. They went from seven to eight, but that's okay. Michigan moved ahead of them. Michigan's 10-0. and 0. That's the only thing. I thought Creighton would have stayed at seven, but Michigan, the Wolverines, they're surprised people last year. They're surprising people this year. The question is, can the Wolverines keep it up, or can the Blue Jays steam ahead of them in the AP poll rankings? And of course, coming in at number 25 is the Yukon Huskies, and I think they deserve to be ranked. They are playing really well in the Big East Conference, and not a whole lot of people knew what they were going to do when they came back to this conference. Were they going to be at the top? Were they going to be at the bottom? But the main thing for the Yukon Huskies team is their women's basketball program dominated. So they moved them to a bigger conference, but the men's team had to go with, and they are showing some greatness on their team. And it is good to see them back into the Big East Conference. All right, so that's going to be it for this episode. I cannot watch, wait to watch some more Big East basketball this week. I know Creighton faces the Butler Bulldogs on Saturday. Tonight, the Yukon Huskies take on the DePaul Blue Demons. It's going to be an exciting week for basketball, and I hope to see Villanova play soon. I hope you guys have a good rest of your week, and I will see you guys next Monday.